is dead can come alive. Well, what is that in your life that, that might be dead? Is it a relationship? Is it a, is it a struggle financially? Is it something in your marriage? Could it be something that has to do with an area that God is calling you to serve in? So let's start with some definitions. Let's define revival. It's interesting. The dictionary definition of revival is this. Renewed interest after indifference or decline. Renewed interest. Here's an area of my life that I used to be really interested in. I mean, just I'm not going to put any thoughts out there yet. But just for a moment, I'm going to let you and the Holy Spirit wrestle with this. An area of your life, your Christian life, your social life, your home life, an area that is struggling. And, and all of a sudden, you have renewed interest. You, you've had some indifference towards this person. You've had some indifference toward this command. You've had some indifference or apathy towards this situation. But all of a sudden, you've got some renewed interest and you, you really are beginning to care again about this or desire for God to do something in this area. That's revival, according to the dictionary. There's an old song that we sing called, Revive Us Again, Fill Each Heart With Thy Love, May Each Soul Be Rekindled With Fire From Above. Rekindled. What is it in your life that needs to be rekindled? The fire has gone out and you have grown cold. Now, what is the biblical definition of revival? I think it's, it's, it's deeper. It, it's an outpouring of God's spirit, which brings hatred of personal sin. Hatred of personal sin. Let's just stop there for just a moment. That's, that's somewhat of a negative, isn't it? Think about it. God pours his spirit on an area of our lives that we have grown to accept. Maybe a, a something that is wrong that we've allowed our hearts to grow indifferent to. And so all of a sudden it's not as bad as it used to be. But revival is when God pours his spirit out and we begin to hate that which is in our lives that, that shouldn't be there. For instance, I, I want to make it perfectly clear <laughs> And I think at Gospel Light, it probably would go without saying, but it needs to be said, that what's happening and what's happened in Charlottesville is sin. Racism is sin. Bigotry is sin. White supremacy or Nazism or any of the other things that, that, that are being uh, in, they're involved in what's happening there is sin. And for anybody in this room to, to be indifferent towards that and to see people punching each other in the face, cars running into, in your nation, right down the highway, running each other over in America. Hatred. To be honest, I've been pastor here for 25 years. And I honestly, that is so foreign to me. I mean, our church has always been a melting pot of diversity. We've always just thought, this is America. This is what America's all about. But in addition to that, this is God's church. And when you look to the future, if you want to know what your future is going to be like, just in case you have any itty bitty little bit of racism, which if you do, then there's no question. Either you don't know Jesus, you're unsaved and you need to be saved, or you desperately need to wake up and, and, and get right with God because your future is this. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude. We're in heaven now. Which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne of the Lamb. That's our future. <laughs> Listen, th this is not about the color of your skin or the slant, sweetheart, of your eyes. This is not about your race, your color, your creed. This is about the heart of God who died for everyone to be saved and go to heaven. And so we as God's people have a deeper understanding of loving everyone like Jesus loved us. So what's happening there is sin and you ought to hate it. 
We ought to hate what's happening, not the people. God died for those people, and those people need Jesus. And the only way those people will truly be healed is not by rhetoric. It's not by a tweet. It's not by some sort of a statement that we're going to make to make ourselves look good. It's about praying that God's spirit will fall on Hot Springs, on Charlottesville, on America, and change the evil hearts of people. God loves them, and God wants them to be saved. And I'm thankful for our church. And so here's the biblical definition, an outpouring of God's spirit, which brings a hatred of personal sin and an overwhelming delight in the nearness and goodness of God. You see, this morning, I have already experienced an overwhelming delight in the nearness and goodness of God. Therefore, this morning, I'm not going to just stand in this pulpit and and say, let's cancel the worship service. What's happening there in our country in different places in the sin that's in our nation? Let's just cancel all of this worship. Uh, God is not good. God is not near. God is not with us. Are you kidding? Man, if there ever was a time for you and I to lift holy hands and say, praise God, he's on the throne, it's right now. We have a great God and we have a great potential to see God move in our nation. And I've often seen when what is happening comes to the surface, when the hatred and sin comes to the surface of a country, there's an awesome opportunity for God to move in and work. If we'll speak up and speak the truth in love. So do we need revival? Well... Uh, let's let's just look at a few facts. Roughly 4,000 churches, roughly, will close their doors this year in North America alone. 4,000. You say, what do you mean? Okay, I'll tell you what I mean. Two months ago, I got a phone call from a church two minutes from here. Two minutes, right down the street, right down Grand Avenue, take a right. It's called Eastside Missionary Baptist Church. They called me, and I went over there and sat down with two older men. And they said they've got ten people left. Eight of them cannot walk without a walker or without a cane. These are the only two men that really can ably walk. And they said, we're, we're going to close the doors of our church. This is two minutes from here. We need help. Can you help us? So for the past two months, I've been working to put a plan together that our church could help keep that church open. So this morning, for the very first time on Sunday, Gospel Light has a team over there leading the worship. John Johnson is preaching. And Sonia Fry is playing the piano. And people are there to to help revive that church. 250-seat auditorium with 10 people who can barely breathe. You see, it's real, church. Churches are dying. We're not changing. Bless God. We'll we'll let this church close before we have a set of drums on the platform. Well, that's exactly what you're going to do. Let you call some wacky preacher in the gospel light and ask for help. And we'll throw a few people over there and hope for the best. You see, it's real. It's in our city. Our city, churches are on the brink of closing down. Why? They're dead. They're dry. They're cold. They're different. And I have a lot of respect for those 10 people, average age, 75, that before they closed the doors, they gave it one last chance. North America is the only continent in the world You ready for this? We are the only continent in the world where Christianity is not growing. For some reason, we all think we live in a Christian nation. No, no. Christianity in our country is the, in all the world, every nation, Christianity is growing. America, Christianity is declining. Do we need revival? Giving, giving is proportionately worse in churches than it was during the Great Depression. This is a percentage of income with inflation included. People gave more in their poverty than we give in our prosperity in America. The U.S. is the number two missionary receiving country in the world next to Brazil. That's what the world thinks of us. Send missionaries to America. They need help. 
number two missionary receiving country in the world. Researchers say that 3,500 people leave the church every day. Every day, 3,500 young people are walking away from the church because of legalism, because of materialism, because of hypocrisy, because they're just flat out dead. I don't feel that way about gospelite. I don't. But I know I've honestly had to pay a pretty high price to address some of these issues. And it's been one of the hardest roads of our lives to get through some of the changes we need to make lest we become dead legalistic materialism and and hypocrites. It takes a lot of work. But I'm thankful we got through it. So let me ask you a question. And I want you to answer them honestly in your heart. Ten quick questions. And I don't know how you want to do this. I don't know if you want to just say yes or no next to the questions. If you want to do one through ten, I think this is, I'm a five in this area. It doesn't matter, but I'm going to ask you to figure out a way to examine yourself. Number one, revival is needed when prayer ceases to be a vital part of a professing Christian's life. Revival is needed. So, so I want you to look at that, and, and I want you to ask yourself the question, do I need revival? Do I need revival? Because revival is needed when prayer ceases to be. In other words, when I, when I come across a problem, prayer is my last resort, or prayer is something I do for a few moments, but it's not the main thing. I'm, all, I'm looking for other ways to solve my problems other than this. Then revival is needed. Number two, revival is needed when the quest for biblical truth ceases and we become content with the knowledge of scripture that we have already attained. In other words, coming to church or going to small group or or doing devotions and getting deeper into the word of God is not something you're interested in. In fact, that kind of turns you off. In fact, it's like, you know, you know, you, you don't go to a small group because you really don't want to be vulnerable. You're not interested in going deeper. You know, I, I'm good with what preacher says in the pulpit. That's fine. You know, when I'm awake, I get it. When I'm not, you know, I don't get it. But I don't need to go deeper. I don't need to know more about the scriptures. Revival is needed when you feel that way. Revival is needed when your quest for biblical truth and, and we become content with where we're at. Revival is needed. Number three. Revival is needed when the fact that I know someone who is lost and headed to a Christless eternity ceases to move me. My neighbor, my brother, my sister, my friend, my coworker. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you really maybe think about it, yeah, they're probably not a Christian. And I guess that means if they're not saved, they would die and spend an eternity in hell. But I guess that I guess that's their problem. <laughs> When we feel indifferent about souls that are around us, that God has put us in contact with, and it's really not that big a deal, revival is needed. Revival is needed when I do not rejoice about the blessing of God upon others, but rather I struggle with envy and resentment. Revival is needed. When we, when we can't rejoice over someone else's blessings, when we can't be excited because another church is growing and another Christian is being blessed and someone else, even though we may be struggling, we can rejoice because someone else is not. Revival is needed when we feel any other way than that. Revival is needed when aspirations for Christ-like holiness cease to be of utmost importance. The holiness of God has been trampled upon in our country, in our churches. It seems as if in times, at least my opinion, has become in our quest for grace, we have trampled upon his holiness. And so therefore, all of a sudden, in recent years, alcohol and prescription drugs and fornication and adultery and pornography has become like these massive problems in the church because holiness is no longer viewed as something that is important. And so we take these things and we just sort of discard the holiness of God in reference to some of these things that we used to really be concerned about. 
Number six. When I can hear the Lord's name used in vain and not be moved to indignation, revival is needed. I mean, I remember just a few years ago. I mean, GD. I mean, if it was the first time, it it didn't matter if it showed up in the movie at 95% through. We, 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 we were repulsed by that. I mean, good night. That's my God. You're using his name in vain. I don't. Now we look on a website to see if it's over 20 times. Well, that's a little too many. I can handle 20, but not 21. And then I, I've been just wondering, what does it mean when we say, gosh, darn it? Does that mean peanut butter? Or does that mean God just a different way. What, what does it mean? Jeesh! Is that Jesus? What, what is gosh? Gosh! Is that God or is that like, you know, rats? Which, which one is it? See, I feel as if revival is needed when we become apathetic towards things that in reality are wrong. Number seven, when I can watch degrading movies and television and not be deeply grieved in my heart and shut it off and walk away. It seems like we've allowed television to become the rule. I mean, it's just like gotta be on and every show we gotta see and have you seen and Netflix and we are, if we can't watch it on the television, we watch it on our phone and iPads and television has become such an obsession with the younger generation that, Revival is needed. When I find more delight in the promotion of discord than working for unity and harmony among the Lord's people. Now, I probably have your attention by now. (laughs) And because I'm preaching through a series of messages, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Because everybody in our church knows, gee, preacher didn't plan it this way. This is just where he ended up on the week that college is starting and the week that school is starting back. You know, normally we, we, we're, we're kind of shouting about this time of the service, but I haven't heard many amens yet. And that's okay because when revival is needed, sometimes there's confession and there's soberness. And so I'm good because I need revival and I'm convicted. And so let's talk through Jonah chapter three, how to experience personal revival. Let's, let's give you the first thing. Number one, listen, listen and God will speak. Hey, the question is not, is God speaking? God is speaking. The question is, am I listening? God is speaking. He speaks through his word. And he spoke to Jonah. In fact, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying... God is speaking here in Jonah chapter 3. God is speaking. Listen and God will speak. And what's amazing to me is that in our day, we have a more sure word. Look at 2 Peter chapter number 2 or 1 verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. I mean, all Jonah had was a portion of the Old Testament. You and I have the whole Bible. We know exactly what God says and what he meant with what he said. The New Testament even gives us a deeper understanding of when God says, listen, I I don't only want you not to commit fornication, but I don't want you to lust after a woman. Whoa, boy, that covers a lot more ground than just actually the act of fornication or the act of adultery. I'm supposed to not even think on a lustful thought. Isn't, Isn't that amazing? God is clear. We have a more sure Word of prophecy, and you would do well to take heed. Wow. That's what you and I have. The primary avenue of God's message in our day is the Word. God speaks to us through His Word. And notice in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, that the Word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Aren't you glad that God is the God of a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance? How many of you have needed a second chance in life? Raise your hand. In some area. Amen. I have. Oh, 
I needed a second chance. I needed forgiveness. I need, needed to embrace at the, God at the foot of the cross and say, I'm sorry. That second chance, God. Oh, listen to verse 2. It says here, so Jonah arose. Wow. Jonah arose. I just want to stop for a moment and ask you to turn to chapter 1. And I want you to see something with me. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. And look here in verse number 2 of chapter 1. Arise, go to Nineveh. Isn't that the same command? The same exact command. Arise, go to Nineveh, but Jonah disobeyed. In chapter 3, God said the same thing. Arise and go to Nineveh. But this time, Jonah listened. Jonah obeyed. Jonah is not going to hear the message until he listened and obeyed. How are you listening to God? Revival starts with listening. And remember, I promise, God will speak. Biblical listening requires more than just hearing. Illustration. If you have, a ch- if you have children. Go clean your room. An hour later, you are walking through the hallway. You look in the room and it's not clean. You go back to your child and what do you say this time? Did you listen to me? Oh, they heard you. You're not questioning whether they heard you. You're questioning whether they listened. I'm not questioning whether you hear this morning. The question is, are we listening to God? And I'm not God. I'm, I'm, I'm his mouthpiece this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching through the word. It's not me that you're listening to. I just happen to be in the place this morning that God has put me to tell you what the word of the Lord says. But the truth is hearing is not complete until it gets to our feet. That sounds like a good rap song. White man can't jump and white man can't rap. <clears throat> but if I could... <laughs> Hearing is not complete until it gets to our feet. God does not give his best stuff to someone who wants only to know it. God gives his best stuff to those who want to know it and do it. Do it. Number two, first of all, we've got to listen and God will speak. Second thing is we've got to believe And God will supply. Listen and believe. And belief is something that is challenging because I find today that so many people are so pessimistic. It's hard to get anybody to really believe that God can do what God said he would do. It's like we just doubt God. We doubt everything. We just, we're negative. I don't know. You know, I I don't know. I mean, $13,000, a lot of money. Good luck, preacher. I hope you get it. Here's my, here's my dollar. Hope you get it. You know, I don't think it'll happen. But I hope it works out for you. Yeah, that situation in Charlottesville is bad. I think our nation's just going to hell in a handbasket. It's all over. Hey, how you doing today? Huh? I guess, you know, decent. Okay, in spite of the circumstances. I've had better days. (laughs) It just seems like people just really don't believe God. And we just don't trust him that, that he can do the impossible. Well, I know he said it. I know it's in there. Okay, it says it, but come on, Eric. Really, Eric, have you looked around lately? I mean, it kind of makes you wonder if there really is a God. This seems to be the attitude. But we've got to believe God. Believe that God is who he said he is. A true heart partnership with God obliterates all sense of anxiety. It obliterates it. When you really believe God, when you believe what God says, all of a sudden, what changed Jonah? What changed him? How did he go from a prophet running away from God to a prophet running to God? He believed God. God said, go to Nineveh. He said, I ain't going there. Those people hate me. People, they kill people, they're wicked. 
I'm not going to Nineveh. And all of a sudden, Jonah says, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. He finally believed God. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose up. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm looking at verse 1, chapter 1. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. All right, let's study Nineveh. You ready? This is fun. Why was Nineveh a great city? We don't really know based on that verse, but we do know based on the last verse of chapter 4. So look at that one. And should not I spare Nineveh that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons? How many persons are six score thousand? 120,000, okay? Is that the population of Nineveh? No. No, six score thousand persons that cannot discern their right hand from their left hand. Well, who are those people? Just people, this is just 120,000 people that don't know their right hand from their left hand. All right, so Jerome, hold your hands up. Okay, which hand is that, Jerome? Right hand, what hand is that? Left hand, how old are you? 46, okay, so a 46-year-old man knows his right hand from his left hand, so it's not him. Uh, Zoe, put your hands up, okay? What hand is that? Right hand, what hand is that? Left, good, how old are you? 17. Okay, so we're down to 17. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay. Raise your hands. Okay, Dylan, which hand is that? Right hand, what hand is that? How old are you? We're down to 12. But I imagine if we got down to 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, the, I imagine we'd start hearing some kids go, these were children. These were bus kids, Mark. One 120,000 children. Historians tell us, based on that, there were probably one million people that lived in Nineveh. This was a great city that had 120,000 children. And then the Bible says in verse number three, it says, so Jonah went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. That word journey, you may have a translation that says walk. That's what it means. It was a three-day walk to get not to Nineveh, but to get through Nineveh. Question. How many miles can a human being walk in one day? Let's figure out how long Nineveh was. Well, you do a little study, you got to do a little math, but the best math I could come up with was a healthy person, not not even somebody that's like an athlete, but just somebody maybe like myself that seemingly healthy, I can walk somewhat briskly, I could get from here to Little Rock in, are you ready? One day. 40 miles. 40 miles is what the average healthy person, if he was going to just walk all day, he could walk 40 miles. If it's a three days journey, how long was Nineveh? Potentially 120 miles long. How long is that? Well, that's from the top of Chicago. I mean, like the tip top of Chicago. I've lived in Chicago. You go to the tip top of Chicago, North Chicago, all the way to the bottom, South Chicago. I mean, to the very bottom. And it, 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 is, it is three, four, five million people, but it's forever. You just keep going and going and it's people everywhere. And you don't really stop till you get on the highway going to Rockford, Illinois. It finally stops. There's people everywhere. That's like L.A., That's like maybe Simi Valley, sweetheart, where sort of it ends and it goes all the way down, maybe to Irvine or farther below. That's like, that's almost 100 miles. And that's like 8 million people. So we're talking about a million people, but this was not as spread out. It was more dense. Now, you say, what are you telling us that for? Well, I want you to know it was a great city. The Bible tells us it was about 120 miles long. It had 120,000 children and probably a million people. This was a great city. Verse 4, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. How far would that be? If he, he walked a whole day in the city. He's 40 miles in the city. He's probably close to the heart of the city. He's probably downtown area where the majority of the people were. Maybe he was in the business district of that city. 
Jonah is doing what God said to do. He goes a day's journey and he cries out. Jonah, he says this. Real popular message, by the way. I would love to say this today, like in downtown Charlottesville today. How would you like this? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. (sighs) Not a popular message. How would you like right now to go downtown New York? Hey, just everybody, 40 days and God's going to destroy the city if you don't get right with God. You think the average New Yorker is going to say, I like this guy. What a great guy. What a beautiful, positive message. 40 days and we're all dead. Yeah, that's right. Well, says who? Says God. Well, how do you know? Because he told me. I'm telling you exactly what he told me to tell you. Believe me, I didn't want to do this. I resisted. Ended up in a whale's belly. It was a rough, rough three days. And then I got vomited out. That was disgusting. And I finally listened and decided I'm going to go and obey. So here I am. And yes, I'm 40 miles into the city, and I just want everybody to know that if you don't listen to God, he's going to destroy you. Trust me, there were no amens. There were eggs and rocks, right? No, there weren't. Hang on, it it gets amazing. So he cries out, and he says these words to Nineveh. Here's, let's stop for just a moment and say this. Jonah went in and spoke for God. And this is what God is asking us to do, speak for him. He's just asking us to speak for him, to say a word for him. You know, I mean, it's, it's simple. It's not that hard. I was the other day, true story, just a few days ago. I was at Starbucks. I went to, I love Wingstop. Anybody like Wingstop? Oh, my goodness, Wingstop. I'm, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to, anyway, okay. And uh, we preach the truth here whether you like it or not. And so I went to Wingstop, and I thought, I'm just going to get me a drink at Starbucks. So I went, walked over to Starbucks, and I got me a, a drink, and I walked out, and there was a man, uh, sitting there by himself. And I knew the Holy Spirit said to say something. It was like super loud. Like, Eric, you're by yourself. He's by yourself. Why in the world would I have you walk over here and get a drink? You could have got a drink over there, okay? You're getting a drink because he's sitting by himself. It was like so clear. If I would have walked past him, I would have been in the belly of the whale, okay? Honestly. And so I said, hey, uh, so where are you from? And he said, uh... I'm from Gretna, Louisiana. You're kidding. He goes, why? I said, I'm I'm from New Orleans. He said, really? I said, yeah, man, that's just like Gretna, New Orleans. That's like the same place. I go, I "I live in Hot Springs now. I pastor here for 25 years. He goes, you're a pastor, huh? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. He goes, that's pretty cool. Prove it. Had a card. Gave him my cards. That's my name. (laughs) He looked at it. He said, so you're Eric Capucci. I said, well, close enough. Actually, it's Capace, but I'll answer to Capucci. And he said, that's cool. He said, you think you might have some time to talk sometime? He goes, I, I'm, I'm a little busy right now, but uh, I got some questions for a pastor. I said, you all have time to talk. Anytime. My email address is on there. My phone number's on there. Give me a call sometime. He goes, I'll do that. I said, see you, Gretna. He said, see you, New Orleans. And I walked off. <laughs> You say, what's so great about that story? I spoke for God. I mean, I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't know if the man's going to look on our website. I don't know if he's going to call me. I just know this. I, I listened. I spoke for God. It, it wasn't, I didn't tell the man he was going to be obliterated if he didn't get saved. I didn't do that, okay? <laughs> but I did what God asked me to do. Are you with me? You see, that's all I'm talking about. Really, this is not complicated. This is just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. This is Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Either you're ashamed or you're not ashamed. This is 2 Corinthians chapter number, or 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. In other words, if you're wondering this morning why I'm not saying this, Hello, everybody. God bless you. You look so nice today. Well, have a wonderful day. What's happened in Charlottesville? Isn't that so sad? It's really bad. But it's okay. God is good, and we're going to all be happy. If you have felt slightly uncomfortable this morning, good. I like the old person. I like the, I like the widow woman. I like the old guy that walks out today, the old timer, and says, Preacher, 
thanks for stepping on my toes. That's how I know I really went to church. Give me some old timers that don't mind their toes getting stepped on. You know you've been to church when you hear the truth. And if I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth, not with enticing words, but I'm going to tell you what the word says. And so we need some Jonas in our day. Just believe that God will supply. There must be a willingness to believe. And then notice what happened. Number one, listen, God will speak. Number two, believe God will supply. Number three, repent and God will receive. So in verse five, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Wow. I didn't think that would happen. I honestly thought if some whack job went 40 miles into the city and told them they were all going to be destroyed if they didn't believe, listen to God, I thought for sure he'd get egged or stoned. But God, God was in this. God turned the hearts of the people. Just like I believe America still has a chance. I believe America can experience revival. I've not given up on this country. That's why I still preach like I preach with enthusiasm and excitement. That's why we got champion Christian college. I mean, contrary to some people's opinion, we're not here for, for really mainly education. We're not here for sports. We're here because Jesus wants to raise up a generation of champions to be a witness for him. That's our mission. And so they believed God and proclaimed a fast. Wow. What is a fast? You want to know the definition of a fast? Here it is. It'll be on the screen. The purpose of fasting is to forego the physical for a season to heighten our awareness of the spiritual. Physical meaning what? Well, first of all, let's talk about the one thing that we all love. Food. Amen. Can I get an amen right there? Come on. I mean, come on, really. Too much food dulls our hunger for God. Too much leisure dulls our hunger for God. Too much of the physical dulls our hunger for God. So so they proclaimed a fast and they said, we're not going to eat for a while. We want God more than we want food. So we're going to skip a meal. Why would you skip a meal? Why would anybody skip a meal? Has anybody ever tried to skip a meal? Has anybody ever made your body kind of suffer just a little bit? Most of us, when our stomach grumbles one time, it's like, I had somebody tell me the other day, they eat like seven snacks a day. Their whole day is like eating. It's like they can't go an hour, got to eat, got to eat, got to eat. Can you imagine telling that person, you can't eat for a day or for an hour or for a meal, or you got to skip three snacks. Sorry, suffering for Jesus. Instead of seven, we get four snacks today. But I know I'm being a little funny and I'm sorry, but what if during those three snacks that we skipped, sounds so silly, but yet, yet it's true. What if we prayed? Pray about what? All right, let's make a list. Number one, to get right with God. Could it be that we should fast because there's an area that we just need to get right in? Number two, to get answers to prayer. I mean, have I really prayed about things? Do I really pray for answers? I mean, is is it really going to be $13,000 that gets us new networking, or is it going to be an answer to prayer? I I think God can move our hearts to give a little extra. God can do it. God will take care of it. It's good, isn't it? God's done. Listen, the fact that we're here is a miracle. This is not a rich church. This is a very middle class, maybe even you know, low to middle class. We don't claim to be a bunch of wealthy folks here. We may have a few that have means, but most of us, it's just common people. Just We're just keeping the doors open and trying to preach another sermon, honestly. You say, well, how much you got in the bank? Less than the church that has 10 people does. <laughs> Be honest with you, a lot of churches that are about to close their doors, the one thing they got is money. I talked to a guy the other day. He said, we got five people, but bless God, we got a million dollars in the bank. I said, you got five people in your church and a million? What are you going to do with a million? Well, we don't know. We're thinking about closing the church and 
I guess they go split the money between the five people. There's like, I, I really don't know what you do when you close the door. You guys, I guess you, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go there, okay? Nathan, we can split $5, okay? Well, <laughs> Number three, to defeat personal bad habits might be a good reason to fast. To see a family breakthrough. I'm going to skip a meal. To break a satanic stronghold, I'll skip a meal. I might skip a snack to restore life and vitality to my church. Or maybe I'll skip a meal to bring my child back. Or maybe to heal a relationship in my life. But there's a lot of reasons to skip a meal. So he proclaimed a fast. He said, look, we're going to fast. We're not going to eat We're serious. We're going to forego the physical to heighten the spiritual. All right, now, we're almost done. Notice the next word in verse 5. It says, he proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth. Have you ever wondered what sackcloth is? I have. I've never studied it. Isn't that a shame? I'm I'm 52 years old, and some of you know what sackcloth, and I don't. But I did this week. I said, I'm because I've always stopped at fasting. I've never gone to the sackcloth. I just always thought sackcloth was like, you know, you, you cover, you know, yourself in a black sheet or something. I didn't know. And so I studied it. I found out it's interesting. Let me tell you what it is. Okay, we all, trust me, nobody is wearing sackcloth here, okay? <laughs> Honey, you look really good. I mean, you look nice. You got a nice dress on. You combed your hair. Nice, yes. She always combs her hair, you know. Um, Joe looks good. Did a little work on the hair. Got a little spike going on there, bub. Nice, got a little, you know, everybody looks nice, you know. I mean, even if you're casual, you're, let me tell you what sackcloth is. Here it is. It's a symbol of complete disregard for appearance. Man, I thought, what? Complete, we ain't worried about makeup, we're not worried about our hair, we're not worried about our toenails, our fingernails. We are, listen, the American church and the average person is so consumed with how we look. But when you are under conviction and when you are trying to get a hold of God, the last thing you're worried about is how pretty you are on the outside. He said, we're proclaiming a fast and we're putting on sackcloth. Complete disregard for personal appearance. And notice, let's just read through the rest of this. And I think it explains itself. Put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. That's like the word coming to Donald Trump. Or, or since he's just been president for a few months, let's, let's throw Mr. Barack Obama in there. And I'll tell you why in just a moment, why I'm, why I'm doing that. So, so the word comes to the leader of the country, it says here. The king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth. The leader of Nineveh, one million people. This would be like Donald Trump or Barack Obama taking off their jacket, putting it on the ground, rolling up their sleeves, falling on their face. Can you imagine this in the White House? And he caused, verse 7, to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king. Let's just read it through America by the decree of the president and his cabinet saying, let neither man nor woman, nor citizen, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and every citizen be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. You know what I saw yesterday? I saw grown people in our country punching each other in the face. I saw a man, 250 pounds, punch a woman in the face. Did you see that? It was on television. I couldn't believe it. In our country, 24 hours ago, people were punching and hurting and killing each other. Three died, a car, running people over. Mr. Trump, Mr. Obama, 
Mr. Whoever, can I tell you what our country needs? Not rhetoric, not some statement coming with a stern face. It needs humility. And oh God, we are killing one another. We are, we are punching each other. We need God. Would you join me in prayer? That's what we need. The healing of this nation is going to come from a God who created us. And he didn't create us to hate one another. No baby ever hated another person. You weren't created to hate. You were created to love and to receive love. This is how God made us. The hope is not in politics or in rhetoric or in tweeting. I didn't tweet yesterday about all this because I'm so, I don't want to read any more tweets. It's easy, it sounds lame. Tweet. Hey, did you read the tweet? I'm like, I want to read a verse. Give me some Bible. Give me a man of God that will stand in the pulpit and tell the truth. Let's, let's pray. Let's skip a meal this week for that city, for this city. Skip a lunch. Skip a dinner. Go without for the nation to repent. Because it's only hope is God. Repent. Notice it says, and turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Can I tell you what repentance is? It is turning. It's turning. Turn from where you were. You know what, what would have healed yesterday's situation is for everybody just to turn and go home. This has gone way too far. This is ridiculous. Turn, repent, get right. Now, let me tell you what I feel we do sometimes. We throw this verse at our sin and we love it. It makes us feel better. I like this verse, but I think sometimes we have taken this verse out of context. All right, here it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh yeah, I messed up. Thank God for First John 1, 9. I messed up again. Thank God for verse John 1. I'll do it again. Thank God. You know, and it's almost like we throw that verse at our sin to make us feel good. You see, that verse is wonderful. But God wants us to turn. Confess your sin and turn from your wicked way. Don't keep throwing that verse on your sin that you continue to do with no real desire to change. And so I'm concerned today that what we need is a a repentance of our sin. Not just a confession, but a turning from it. Repentance is really seeing your sin like God sees it. See how it cost God his son. Your sin cost Jesus his life. Wow. Why would I want to continue in my sin? See it like God sees it. So listen, believe, repent, and then I'm done. Wait, and God will revive. Wait. Well, I don't know, Brother Eric. I just, you know, I think, I think it's just a matter of time. For, you know, maybe to be North Korea, blow this country up, be good for us. Whatever. Honestly, I sense, I sense there is a level of giving up. I'll be honest. I just sort of think the reason why we can... Go our merry way, eat, drink, and just none of this really bothers us. It's like we listen to the news or we listen to a sermon like this and we leave and it's like, where are the biscuits and gravy? No big deal. Why he preached on fasting? Ah, whatever. Well, could it be that God really does want to change our country? Could, is there any chance? Look at verse, look at verse nine. Who, who can tell? Who knows if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Who knows? God may do it. God may have great plans for this nation. God may want to raise this nation up to be a a Christian nation again. Who knows if God will will turn and and forgive our land and heal our land? Don't give up. Because look what happened in Nineveh, verse 10. God saw their works. That they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do. And he did it not. How cool is that? God said he was going to destroy Nineveh, but God didn't do it. Because the people repented. 
Maybe there is hope for your marriage. Maybe there is hope for America. Maybe there is hope for Eastside. Maybe there's maybe the church isn't going to close. Don't give up. Maybe there's hope for America. Maybe there's hope for hot springs. Maybe instead of cursing the darkness, somebody might light a candle. It might work. Who knows? It's worth a try. That's all I'm saying. Don't give up. Repent. Wait. Wait. It's not going to happen overnight. I seriously doubt that President Trump is going to get in the pulpit tomorrow and, 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 and preach this sermon or read Jonah chapter 3. But you know what? If we pray and seek God's face, maybe he would turn his heart around. Maybe he'd quit tweeting and start quoting Bible verses. I don't think so. Well, you got to believe. you got to believe. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I just... You know, I, I pray that God will take this chapter because it's, it's, it's the chapter, it's the best chapter in the book. It is. It's the best chapter. It's the chapter that everything changed. It, it, it's the story, it's the part of the story where Jonah made decisions that changed the course of a city. Who's to say that God does not want to use somebody here to be that person? Maybe me. Let it begin with me. Listen, I have no control over national revival. I have no control over local revival. The only control I have is personal revival. That's it. I cannot, I cannot start a revival in America. I cannot start revival in Hot Springs. I can just start a revival at 621 3rd Street. That's the only place I, I can start one. It's my home, my life. But you know what? If enough people do that, I would imagine it would shake a city or shake a nation for God. If enough people were praying this kind of prayer, a prayer of true repentance and deliverance, I'm hopeful today. You must have not watched the news, preacher. That was horrible. It was. It was horrible. But I'm, I'm preaching about Nineveh getting saved today. I'm preaching about a city turning its heart to God. It can happen in the worst of cities. Charlottesville couldn't hold a candle to how bad Nineveh was. There's hope. And so I pray that God will stir our hearts. If you're not saved today, if you don't know for sure, if you died, you'd go to heaven. That's why we're, these pastors, including me, are up front. We'd love to take a moment. If you're not sure where you'd spend eternity, then we would love to pray with you. Don't hesitate to come and take a moment. Take us by the hand. Let us, let us share with you some, some of the best news you'll ever hear. Maybe you're here today and you just need to pray and Take a moment at the altar, whatever it is you need to do. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to preach. And Lord, I thank you for Sunday mornings. I love this church. I love what you're doing here. Bless us now as we allow you to speak to our hearts. Do a work. Take over. God, we give it to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? If you need to come, the invitation has begun. The altars are open.